Oh, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord here at Cornerstone. I missed being with you, the Cornerstone family, last week when we were down in Birmingham, Alabama. It's nothing like coming home and being back in the fellowship here in the body of Christ. Good to see a number of new faces among us this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Nate Sheridan. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. It's actually my treasure today to open up God's Word with you in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, what is affectionately known as every child's favorite Bible verse in all of the Scripture. Yes, you guessed it, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I promise I'll be kind as we work our way through this remarkable text. It really is a remarkable text. I want to remind you of one remarkable reality of this text even before we read it together, and that is if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, that you are then a child of the living God today. You know, that's already who you are in Him. Some of you may think that you're a child, uh, but the truth is that all of us are children. And some of us may think that we're, we're grown up and we're adults and we're mature, but the truth is you're children According to the Lord this morning, we all need a father. Every single day of our lives, we need fathers. And we need a body of Christ that's full of fathers and mothers that are uh, looking over us. And, and I sometimes, I must admit to you as a, as a father with five children, yes, five, ranging from 20 to two, it's quite a range, and I'm learning lots in that range of, of these children who are growing. There are sometimes I, I, I wake up, uh, well, it seems most mornings and wonder, so who would entrust me with this? Five children. And I sometimes think to myself, when am I going to grow up and be ready to take on this task of five children? And, and somehow or another, the years keep going by and the Lord apparently has entrusted this work to me. And in many ways, as we'll see, as you'll see in the sermon title this morning, it's entitled Raise Them Up. But part of the question in that title is you probably are thinking of parents raising children up, but isn't it also true that children raise parents up? That the Lord uses our children to mature us, to grow us. And then in some ways uh, of speaking, parents are raising children, but children by God's grace are used to raise up parents as well. And I think that will be clear as we go along and consider this text together. So I want to, with you, just read this this, uh, glorious text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And as we do so, just remember we're, we're entering into a long section here. If you're new with us this morning... We've been working our way through Ephesians, and we're, we're in some ways, we're leaving Ephesians 5. Some of you are saying, finally, we're leaving Ephesians 5. But we're not leaving Ephesians 5 behind as we move into Ephesians 6. We're actually pulling the thread of Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6, because really the thread of Ephesians 5 from 18 to 21, where we're told that the filling of the Holy Spirit is to be manifested in the Christian's life in addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to God, and also giving thanks for all things, always, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, verse 21, submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. 
addressing one another, making melody in our hearts, giving thanks, and yes, submitting to one another. Here's how these are the evidences of the Holy Spirit filling our lives. This submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is then pulled through in speaking about husbands and wives and now speaking about parents and children and next week speaking about employers and employees or masters and servants. And so I want you to see that structure. It's very intentional in the Apostle Paul's writing. And so we're really just talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we're talking about Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and children and and parents. So have that in mind as we are looking at this text together, that deep connection that the Apostle Paul is building with this text. So let's look. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we would pray that you would know now every single heart in this room Everyone who is joining us in overflow, everyone who is joining us in live stream this morning, would you know perfectly, as we know that you know, how this word needs to land in our hearts and in our souls. No preacher can perfectly craft words or language to make that so. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we come, all of us, with palms up, desperate for you to do a work, desperate for your Holy Spirit to come and bring to light the wonderful truth of this, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Would you come now and speak to us so clearly, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's a simple text, and I want to look at it with you in a simple way this morning. I want to look at just two points from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and I want to do it according to the structure of the passage. I want you to see, number one, a word to children in this text, and I want you to see, number two, a word to parents or a word to fathers in this text. Notice the structure of that. Verse 1, Ephesians 6, 1 starts with children. It's a direct address, and so children, I don't want you to zone out in the midst of this sermon, This sermon in some ways really is for you very specifically, and I want you to be encouraged by something today. The Word of God speaks directly to you. You see this in the text, children, it addresses you. It's not talking past you or over you, it's talking directly to you this morning. It has something it wants to to instruct you in. And even you who are older in here who would not in your own mind fall under the understanding of children, you too came from somewhere, and you may indeed be an adult child who still have have parents in the world. It has something to say to you as well, but even if that is not the case, you are a child of the living God today, and so this word has something to say to you. But I want you to also see a word to parents in here, specifically if you'll notice in verse 5, the direct address shifts to fathers. 
Now, it's not to not include mothers. We see mothers are included there in verse 2, honor your father and your mother. But the instruction here, as the ancient Near East would often have, have thought in and the, the Bible thought in, and that is that fathers are responsible for their homes, for their households, for the direction and tone that is set within uh, their homes. And so it's speaking directly here to fathers, and we might even argue when we get to that point, that it's speaking to a struggle that fathers specifically are prone to. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Well, let's start with this word to children. Uh, notice Paul has two instructions, what I'm going to call one caveat and one incentive for children as he speaks to you today. Two instructions, one caveat or one qualification and one incentive as he speaks to you children. And notice the instruction is really simple, isn't it? Children, obey your parents. Uh, children, notice it just tells you to pay close attention to what it is that your parents instruct you to do and to do it. That there's a wisdom to hearing from your parents and instruction and guidance and to follow what that instruction and guidance is. Notice it doesn't ask you, very interestingly, how you feel about it. It doesn't even ask you whether you like it or not, whether it's, whether it wants your comment on what you're being commanded to do. None of that is actually in the text. It's very plain. It's very straightforward. In fact, I can't even do what you'll sometimes hear me do. And that is jump into a word in the text, like the word obey and say, well, you know, really this word obey, it means, <laughs> well, obey. That's what it means. I mean, it's just really straightforward. There's not a lot of complexity to it. The first instruction really just sits on the top of the text. And uh, let me just tell you, children, I know that sometimes when you hear children obey your parents, you're like, this is definitely, wait, we came on the wrong Sunday. Like, why couldn't we have just missed today? I want you, you probably have what I want to just let you in on a secret that we all have. And that is like when mom and dad tell you something like clean your room or wash the dishes or do your homework, that you have something inside of you that wants to do the exact opposite of that. Do you notice this? It's an impulse that rises up within you, and it's something like if that impulse could talk, it would say, like, who do you think you are? I will call my own shots, thank you. I'm in charge of my own life. I don't want to do what it is that you tell me to do. Do you notice this impulse? If it had a voice, it would probably say something like that. Now, I want you children to know that you're not alone in having that. Your mom and dad have that too. In fact, it happens all the time for them as well. When their bosses tell them to do certain things, when others tell them to do certain things, they also, inside of them, are wanting to say, no, I don't want to obey. I don't want to follow this path. I want to call my own shots. You know, one of the funny things about being a child is you sometimes dream about the time where you're going to grow up and get to do whatever it is that you want to do. And every adult knows that that's not what it's like. And it's a lot of learning to love and to do what God calls us to love and to do. And it takes all of our life to learn that. All of our life to have a heart shaped after the things that God loves and after the things that God commands. And so you're going to feel that inside of you. And you're going to want to say no to the things that your parents say, uh, obey me. 
And I want you to know this, even though it's going to feel like something dies within you when you do it. I want you to obey. Not because I've told you so. Because God in His kindness tells you to. That wisdom comes from obedience. I think you'll see this. Notice it doesn't just tell you to obey, though. It tells you to honor your father and your mother. This is the second instruction that's in here. Notice in verse 2, and you'll see it's in quotes, honor your father and your mother. Now, why is it in quotes? Well, it's because Paul didn't come up with this on his own. Paul is actually borrowing from Moses. Well, he's borrowing from God, isn't he? In Exodus chapter 20, he's quoting to us the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Now, here's what's really interesting about this, kids, is that he's not just interested here in this context on you doing what it is that your parents have called you to do. Now, he's interested in that. Obey your parents. But notice it's not enough just to obey your parents. He actually says he wants you to honor your parents. That's different. Do you know it's possible to obey and not honor? I bet you do it all the time. It happens occasionally in my house, very occasionally, like only every other minute. When someone is asked to do something and they do it because, well, you know, things go bad for you if you don't do what dad has said, but we're going to grumble about it the whole way doing it. And we're going to think negative thoughts about mom and dad when we do so. There's an obedience externally to the thing that's been said, but there's not an honoring that's actually happening in the very heart of the child. Now again, unless you think I'm picking on you, your mom and dad do this all the time, just to let you in on it. The grumble underneath their breath, you've seen them. You've seen that face, you know that look on their face when they're complaining and when they're upset about something and that they're going to do what they must do, but they don't want to do it. And their heart is far from the ones in which they ought to honor. You know, they always honor the president, don't they, when they talk about him? They always honor their parents when they talk about him and their boss, the other people who've been put in authority over them. I bet they never would say anything negative about them, would they? Yeah, this is a struggle for us all, isn't it? It's one thing to do what it is that you're, you've been told to do. It's another thing to actually honor and respect the one who told you. Honor your father and your mother. It's a disposition of the heart, isn't it? Now, in order to change the disposition of your heart, we need to be asking the question, how can we have an honorable heart that's honoring of parents that actually will obey, that, that actually from inside and out, we are with our hearts and with our behavior actually honoring and, uh, and obeying parents? Well, I think sometimes it's good to reflect on who your parents are. I know this is a hard discipline. Let's try it. Your parents are actually the people that God chose by which to give you existence. You would not exist, children, without your parents. That's a pretty important role that he's given them. That your life, your very life, would not exist without your parents. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That will increase your sense of value for them when you realize how the Lord has used them to bring forth your very life. Now think of this. You have grandparents. You have aunts and uncles. You have cousins. You have neighbors. You have church friends. You have, you have classmates at school. You know you wouldn't have all of them if it wasn't for the foundational role that your parents play in your life. I bet you didn't buy your own house, did you? I bet you had to go to the house they bought. 
which means the people around you are actually a shape of their decision or the classes that you go through or the friends that you have and the relations you have. You wouldn't have those without them. They're pretty important people. God has placed them in a pretty important role in your life. Now, one of the remarkable things about this is God's used them not just as kind of the first and primary relationship in your life, not just as a foundation for the other relationships of your life. He's using them to form who it is that you are. He's using them to form who it is that you are. Do you know, this may feel like horror of horrors, like scary, scary stuff, but you're actually going to grow up to be a lot like your parents. I know it's not as bad as it sounds. I promise. Especially if there are parents here in this room who you know love the Lord. They're not perfect. We're going to talk about them in a minute. They've got a lot to work on. They know that. But some of the gifts that you have, you wouldn't have if it weren't for the way the Lord was using them in your life. Some of the knowledge that you have and will gain and are continuing to gain, you wouldn't have without them in your life. Many of the perspectives and tendencies, the thing that's going to make you be used by the Lord in the world will come in and through them. You will never, in a sense, outrun or escape your parents. And in fact, you may try to, Many of us do, and we wind up getting to that point later in our life and looking in the mirror and say, I have become my dad. I have become my mom. And yes, there is in some sense some sadness that's sometimes associated with that. But if we pause long enough, we can be very thankful for the Lord is actually using them to make us who it is that he's called us to be. That's part of the gift of parents. Does that help you at least honor them a little bit and appreciate the fact, the role that God has placed them in your life? But think of it in this way, even at a deeper level. Those parents have been chosen by God for you. They have been chosen by God. Now, you may look back on your life, some of you especially who are older in this room and can think about your raising. You may look back at your parents and think, ugh. You may not have warm and fuzzy feelings when you think about them. They may have been actually very, very bad parents. And yes, some of us have trauma and abuse and scars that come from our family of origins. And we've not been able to fully overcome it. And we know that it won't be until the new heavens and the new earth, which everything that we have gone through and the struggle and trial of our families will be ultimately redeemed. But I want you to know that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, his identity, your identity in Christ has now been one who is fully righteous, who is a child of the living God. You're a son or daughter of the king. You have a father in heaven who gives all good gifts to his children, everything that they need. That that which he's begun in you, he will bring to completion. I want you to know the worst thing that your parents has actually done for you or done against you will be something that the Lord will redeem. You may have to, this morning, actually think about that and go, I don't know how that would even be possible. Boy, what a surprise the new heavens and the new earth is going to be for you. He's going to take the worst things that you've experienced and He's going to turn them into redemption. This is the work of hope and faith in the Christian life. Is that as formative and as foundational our parents are, they are not the final word on our lives. Praise be to God. The Father in heaven is the final word over our lives. His Son, our elder brother who is our Savior, is the one who will lay the final word on our lives. Isn't that encouraging news, children? 
That though you will be shaped and formed by your parents, you aren't determined by your parents and your outcome is not, is not smothered out in some way, shape, or form by them. Praise the Lord for that. Notice in this text, though, that you obey your parents, you honor your parents in the Lord, but he also tells you here that um, one of the things that's really important is that you don't just obey them without anything in view. Notice you obey them in the Lord. We actually haven't talked about that yet. In the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It's a phrase that he's already used. He used it last week speaking about wives in relationship to their husbands, right? Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The Lord's in connection here. He's in relationship. He's going to say it again next week when we talk about work and vocation. Bond servants, serve your masters as you would Christ. He's saying these roles of authority that have been placed actually over us for our good and for the flourishing ultimately of our lives and even of mankind aren't ultimate. That, that one of the struggles that, well, uh, women, we, this is a big struggle, isn't it? You have to actually be married to this guy who is a major sinner and super imperfect. Oh, not to mention he's married to you and that's true of you too. But, but also, isn't that true of children? Think of how difficult this is. You're under authority of someone who is severely flawed. And you're still under their authority. That's a really difficult thing. And so one of the things they want you to be reminded of is sometimes when your parents tell you what to do, and they do so with anger, and they will, and they do, they do so wrongly, and they do so for motivations that are even sinful, and you obey them anyway, know that when you do so, it's not just obeying them, it's obeying the Lord that you're obeying. Do you know one of the most faithful ways that you as children right now can obey the Lord is to obey your parents? For when you are obeying your parents, even when they're not perfect, you are learning what it means to really follow the Lord and trust Him. And not just trust your parents. You're going to trust Him. You're doing this in the Lord. Do you see how that changes your motivation? It's very often we are not looking through, as it were, our parents unto the Lord, but we're looking just to our parents. And they're saying things we wish they wouldn't say. They're calling us to do things we wish they wouldn't do. But think of your parents as actually a window. A window that as you obey them, it's a window unto actually obeying the Lord. And he has always got a kind intention for you. A blessing that he's pouring into you and a shape that he's giving to your life so that fruitfulness and joy might be your future. In fact, isn't that what he says here? Not only does he give us these instructions and a qualification, he gives us motivations in this text. Notice what he says there. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's an incentive You know, this is one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it gives us incentives for obedience. Now, some of you, when you think about incentives or you think about motivations, it may fall on your heart in some way that's maybe more negative in in nature. It feels like, hey, if you do this, you'll get this. And it feels like, well, well, kind of a, a bill of goods, so to speak. That's not what's going on here. The Bible actually gives you multiple motivations, multiple incentives for doing that which is right. We like to say, because we're Presbyterian, and we jump from the very first question of the Shorter Catechism, that our main and primary and deepest motivation in all of life is that we would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Have you heard that before? 
Yeah, you've heard that. If you've been around here very long, you know that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our chief end. Notice that when the confession says the chief end of man, it doesn't say it's the only end. It's the ultimate end. There's a lot of other ends along the way too. Like for instance, we are to work. And we are to work to provide for our family. It's one of the things that fathers and mothers are supposed to do. Is that the ultimate end of our work? No. It's a very important end of our work. It's actually a biblical end to our work. So to be motivated in work to provide for your family is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing, but it's a very important thing. Children, there's a motivation that's given here in the text with regards to your own growth and thinking about the future. That if you are a a, a child who begins to have their heart increasingly oriented to honoring father and mother, increasingly oriented to obey what it is that parents would command, you know what it says here? It says, life will go well and you'll live long in the land. There are blessings that come from that. Now let me just tell you, if you were to interview everybody whose life has gone well, and live long in the land, would they necessarily say, hey, the magic secret, the secret sauce of a long life and prosperity is I said yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and all these things as I was growing up, would that be what they would say? Well, I hate to tell you, that's not true of everybody who's lived well and had a long life. However, it's usually true, or often true, shall we say, that principles of obedience lead to blessing. On Tuesday and Thursday morning in our men's Bible study this week, we're beginning the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua relies on the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy teaches us a key principle after we remember what it is that the Lord has taught us. And the key principle is this, that generally speaking, obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings cursing. You've probably found that out in life. That's not really rocket science, is it? I mean, let's think about it for just a second. If you live a life where you work really hard, you sacrifice, you do good to others, you don't tell lies, you don't cheat, um, you're kind and compassionate, um, you you do what it is that needs to be done, you you live by a strong moral uh, code and compass, one even derived from the Scripture, will your life typically go well? Yeah. Actually, that's an evidence that God has made the world as a moral order. Did you notice this? That like if you like steal and cheat and lie and, and commit adultery and are violence toward it, do you know what typically happens? Bad stuff happens to you. Just normally the way that the world works. You can imagine how terrible the world would be is if you did disobedient things and it typically went well. Think of how weird that world would be. Or if you did really good things and things always were terrible. Even the external world, the unbelieving world, understands this, you understand. This is what we would call natural virtue. It's because it's the way the world has been made. It's actually evidence that our God is a creator. Uh, However, true virtue is different than natural virtue. True virtue is not just doing that which you've been called to do because it'll be well for you. But true virtue is doing what it is you've been called to do because it'll glorify God. It'll glorify God. You see, really when you know the Lord is at work in you, is at the point not just where you think in the, oh, my life will go pretty well if I 
work really hard and get that degree and then get that position and I do these and, and so I can, you know, buy this car and buy these things, you know, do and, and all you're after is the earthly realm. That's actually pro- more than likely going to be in some sense true very often. But that's not the ultimate end, is it? The ultimate end is you would be willing to give up all those things if God had called you to it in sacrifice to Him because you had found the ultimate treasure. And that ultimately was to glorify Him and enjoy Him. That's when you know true virtue has happened is you work hard not just because to get what's coming to you, but you work hard because you want everything and all the glory to go to Him. That's where the changes really happen. You see, that's really working at the very heart of this text is it's saying, hey, there's an there's a, there's a end and the end is fruitfulness and blessing. You live long in the earth, but the ultimate end is that you would live long in the land that He's established for you. What's the land that He's established for you? The new heavens and the new earth. Hasn't Jesus gone to prepare a place for us right now? Hasn't He worked hard to achieve that? Hasn't He accomplished every end by which to do it? Hasn't He been faithful in doing so? I can tell you, if we walk the path of Christ, we will indeed. It will go well with us, won't it? Because that which He's begun, He will bring to completion. That which He will finish. See how the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us such encouragement here? Well, children, I won't stay on you forever. Let's move on to fathers for a second. Listen, we've got a word to children. We've got a word to fathers here. We've got a word to parents. Notice these two instructions that are given to fathers here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's the negative one. But then notice the positive flip. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't do this, fathers. But instead, do this. Now you'll notice in that negative instruction, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some translations would say wrath. Other translations will say don't exasperate your children. Those are all really good translations of the same Greek word. I I do want to notice here that the Apostle Paul, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, is speaking primarily to fathers, I think because of authority structures that are mentioned here in the family. But Let's be honest here for just a second, fathers. This is a weakness. He also may be speaking directly to us because anger is something that fathers specifically struggle with in relationship to their children. Before we look at that and the struggle that we sometimes, I think, provoke in our children through our own anger is let's note this first of all, and children, it's good for you to hear this too, actually. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't say here, that every time a father speaks and his children get mad, he's necessarily done something wrong. This is because children are sinners too. And sometimes a parent can say the right thing and command the right thing and handle it in the right way and children still get mad. Right? Because children have their own sin nature that they struggle with. But very often... It can be true that we have actually stirred something up. And the reason that our children are struggling in the way that they are is that we have provoked them in our own anger. Now notice this. How can we be, let me just ask you this question, how can we be instigators of our child's anger? How does this, how does this work, parents, especially dads? Well, just in, I wanted a, I wanted an absolute, uh, objective audience as I thought through this. And so I polled the Sheridan children <laughs> on this particular thing. Of course, it was entirely hypothetical had they ever been provoked to anger in any way by me. 
Um, but there were a few things that they really couldn't think of anything, but I came up with a, f- a few here <laughs> that, I, that I think might be helpful. Um, how do we provoke our children? This is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's, it's important to get practical around this subject. I'm already provoking someone to wrath right now. You can see. Um, number one, this is one way that we provoke our children to wrath, is we're inconsistent in our discipline. We're inconsistent in our discipline. You know, sometimes we discipline about a matter, and then the children do the exact same thing a day later, and we don't do anything about it whatsoever, right? Because we're in a different mood, right? We feel differently now about it for whatever reason, and our children are left with a massive question like, well, does it matter if I do this or do I not? And it can be extremely frustrating, very provoking. A second way that we can provoke anger in our, our children is, is we can compare them to others or to one another. You know, it always goes well when you're, you know, like you've had that conversation with another parent about their child and, you know, secretly as a parent, you're comparing your, your children as you talk about your children with each other and you're like, I'm a failure. You know, you're doing amazing things and your children are perfect, right? And then you hear that, you know, little, you know, little, little, little Caitlin is uh, every, every morning when she gets up, she immediately, you know, makes her bed, right? You're like, oh, little Caitlin. And so you go home to your children and you say, you know, I was having this interesting conversation with our neighbor about making beds. And uh, did you know that Caitlin, she gets up every morning and she makes her, her bed. Did you, know, did you know that? Did you know that Caitlin did that? Yes, Dad, I have heard that Caitlin makes her bed. Right? I mean, it's, that comparison, you know what they're hearing? They're hearing Caitlin is better than me and I do not measure up. That's what I hear. Right? That provoked wrath, won't it? That'll provoke, that'll provoke anger. Thirdly, we can provoke them to anger by leaving them with the sense that they've never done enough. Leaving them with the sense that they've never quite done enough. And no matter what it is that they've done, right, there's always room for improvement. Not that I was raised with a phrase like that. But it didn't matter, you know, what it is that you were good at and how good, there's always room, right, for improvement. And sometimes you do not need to hear that. Sometimes you need to hear great work. Sometimes you need to hear affirmations and encouragements. You need to be built up, not tore down. Sometimes we can provoke our children to wrath simply by the fact that with our words, we leave them with a sense, with our conduct, our facial expressions, we leave them with a sense that they've never quite done enough. Fourthly, we can provoke our children to wrath by not treating them their age. Yeah, you know, we can have that, that you know, five-year-old who we think we're treating them like they're, you know, they're 15, right? You know, like, Johnny, why did you make that decision? Like, why did you think through this logically that, like, when you ran across the street, bad things were going to happen? And Johnny's like, I'm five. I'm five. <laughs> right? That's what you do when you're five. I need your help, Dad. Like, come on, you know? But you're treating them like they should know better, right? Or what very happens 
you know, the other way is they're, you know, they're 16 and we're treating them like they're six, right? We're still cutting up their chicken at dinner or something. <laughs> and we're catering to them. We're not treating them their age and it's frustrating. It provokes them to wrath. One of the ones we talked about last night was believing the worst about them. So I think happens sometimes as children get older, especially, you know, if they're in their room and their doors closed, if they're out a little past curfew or whatever, we just, you know, yep, here it is. They've done, you know, they've done whatever it is. It's the worst. Even though this child hasn't given you reason necessarily to think that they are doing the worst, your mind immediately goes there. And it's part of the paranoia of parenting, right? It's just part of the nature of it. But learning to bed down that paranoia and think, I want to give to the child who has shown themselves faithful the benefit of the doubt and some trust. They're eager to actually, in many cases, have your trust. And, and, and value it in many cases and want to in many ways uh, be commended and please you. And that's a, that's a positive thing. That's part of how honoring father and mother should happen. Now, there's a fine line here, isn't there? You might have one of those children who has given you many reasons not to trust. And there's wisdom as a parent to be careful. But there's a difference between careful and checking in and suspicious. There's a difference between those two. And even where there should be some suspicions and some wisdom, the relationship would be one where you want to move in the direction of trust. And even establishing with them, I want to move in the relation of trust. Let's build that trust together. Let's do that. Not to in any way diminish or discourage them. These are some ways. This is not a universal, um, you know, com- complete comprehensive list, but do you recognize some of these? Do you recognize how these provoke a sense of, of anger in our children? Instead of these tearing down approaches, notice what we're called to do here. Positively, build up our children. We're to train them up. That's the language here. Raise them up. And the word is one of training. And notice the language is one of discipline and instruction. There's negative and there's positive that goes along with that. Now, I can't say everything that needs to be said about these terms given our time, but I I do want to just make a couple of quick notes. When you hear the word training, it's going to include verbal instruction and it's also going to include action. And and the terms here in the Greek mean both. There's action and there's word. So some of us, some of us as parents are going to think to ourselves, we're talkers and so we want to communicate with word. And we think that once we've said something, it's, it's over. Like training has been done. But the words here actually indicate that you have to both say things and do things with them. You know, it's, it's more, it's more akin to a, a coach than anything. Someone who speaks words and instructs, but then shows you how to do it. There's a positive instruction to it. You have to in, inhabit it. You learn this right over training of your children that you can't just sit down and lecture them. You've got to go do things with them. You've got to go on trips. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to go on adventures. You've got to be stretched in certain ways. You've got to redeem the lessons of the moment, right? These various ways are ways in which the building up and training happens. And parents have to be savvy in that. They have to be, uh, to, to be wise in it. Now, this positive instruction in terms of discipline is that we are a people who are called as Christians to train up our children in the Lord. 
right? Even the language here of the, of the, of the whole of the, the text in verse four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice there's a discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, when you think of discipline, what do you think? You think negatives. But think, in, think of the positive ways that we use the word discipline. Like, for instance, some of you are really good cooks. I know because I've eaten your food. And you can always cook for me. Just know that. And you're, you have, in a sense, studied, practiced, reflected, given effort in the discipline of cooking. Right? Now, how did I use the word discipline there? I used it as a subject. I used it as a path. You know, if you were to say to me, oh, I love cooking. Oh, what do you love to cook? Oh, I never cook. I, I thought you loved cooking. Yeah, I, I, I love cooking. I just never cook. I would say, you don't love cooking. You don't understand the question. You're confused. <laughs> One who is in the discipline of cooking cooks, you see. They, they know things about ingredients and seasonings. They know things about oven temps and, and what skillet to use when and for what dishes. Like they know these things because they studied them. They've tried them. They've practiced them. We're in the discipline of Christ. The discipline of growing into Christ. Our children are to be equipped and in growing into Christ. You may think that your, your goal and role as a parent is to get, get them off the payroll. Right? Eventually, they're going to get a job. And they're going to be an upstanding person in the community. And then I can say, I am done. Right? You're, you're sort of thinking in that way. No, that's not it. You're training them in the Lord. You're training them in the Lord. That's the language of, of verse 4 here. That, that we, are, we, we are those then who need to be looking to the Lord in our our training of our, of our, of our children. We, we can, we can train our children to be good, upstanding middle Tennessee citizens who, you know, earn enough money to get by and, 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 and can, can greet our neighbors and, and can enter, exit the front door decently clothed and in their right mind. I mean, we, we can, we can get there, but, but, but not actually have been training them up in the Lord. Parents, we can lose our way in this. We can lose our way in this. And very often our discipline in certain cases, because when we've lost our way, is we've ceased trusting in the Lord, in the parenting of our children, and we've, we've ceased thinking about the Lord. And maybe we're operating now in anger because our kids haven't turned, well, they're not turning out the way we wish they would. And so we think getting louder is going to help. Or, or, or maybe we're now, we're now just eaten up with fear. You know, too much time has gone by. We've got just a little bit of time left. Now we're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at them as best as we can and hope something sticks because we're afraid they're going to turn out to be a bum. Some of us feel these things. And some of us in this have become very rigid. We've become very impersonal. We've become very unloving in our discipline and in our engagement with, with children. Others of us are very leniency, right, in our, in our, in our discipline. Because we're so tired. I remember after we had Luke, and we were so tired. And we weren't sleeping at all. And we would, we would joke, we would say, you know, one day, one day, the police officer is going to show up at the house. And he's going to have, you know, Luke there. And we're just going to say, he was our fourth. We, we were so tired. I mean, we were... <laughs> 
We were so, I mean, we did the best we could. We did, you know, right? Some of that, we become lenient, that's right. Some of us have the opposite issue. Some of us, you know, we provoke our children to anger. Some of us are very afraid about provoking our children to anger. And we just want to be liked by our children. We're very, very lenient. We don't, we're not really in the discipline of training them in Christ. We're in the discipline of them liking us. You know, that's, and, and that, that frames our parenting. And some of us do this under the phrase, under the phraseology of grace, right? I just want to be gracious, which means like, don't discipline them. Except that Hebrews 11 tells us that discipline is God's grace. But actually, that's his kindness to us, right? He disciplines those whom he loves, right? That he loves them. And, and, and sometimes some of us need to admit our love is not very deep. Even when it comes to our children. Even to sacrifice for them. Actually, we may be more interested in ourselves. We may be more interested in our comfort. You know, in a sermon like this, there's not a lot of good news, is there? Good grief. If you're a child in here, you think to yourself, man, I've got a long way to go. If you're a parent in here, it's worse. It's worse. I'm telling you, it's worse. Going through this and again, you know, getting my children to vet the sermon last night was such an encouragement. I was reminding the early service, though, of like something I heard. It was a couple of months ago, and I was listening. It was a sermon by another pastor, and I thought, I'm going to remember that. I need to hear that. I think we need to hear this now. He was talking about a conversation between a group of men, uh, fathers who have sons in various ages, and one that had just gone off to college and had done some boneheaded college thing. And, and it was costing money. And the, the dad was getting some advice from the, the fathers who were around. And, and he said, you know, I don't, you know, what should I do? Should I make him pay for it? Right? Right? Deal with the consequences of his action. Or should I help him? Right? Should I, you know, should I, should he feel, as it were, the, the, the effect of this? Or, or should, should I help him? Should I give him grace? Right? In the midst of it. And the older, the older dad, this is why you need older, older, Folks in your life, young folks in here. The older dad said, listen, I've known that you've, you've I know how you raised your son. And um, I know your son. And, and I know this was a mistake. We've made mistakes. But this has not been the trajectory of his life. This is not a lesson learning moment. Probably the thing itself has been a lesson. He, he said, I think this is a moment where you, where you say to him, son, I've got it. Son, I've got it. Because that's what daddies are for. That's what daddies are for. Now listen, whether you're a child in here or you're a parent in here, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ says to you, I've got it. That's what daddies are for. That's what daddies are for. You have a father in heaven who's going to cover these things. No parent in here is perfect. No child in here is perfect. We all have got plenty of guilt to go around. And we've got a Heavenly Father who's got it. And when we've got Him, we've got all that we need. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, would You help us to grow into being the parents that You've 
called us to be by being parented by you. By letting your parental love be our guide each and every step of the way. We are grateful for a father like you. For without you, we would be without hope. But with you, our hope will never fade. And we have every reason to hope eternally. So come, O Father, of us, your children, and take care of us. And provide for us every step of the way. Whether fathers or mothers, whether just children, all of us are children. No matter if we ever have a family or not, we are a part of the family of God. And we know that today, again, you've got it. And we praise your name for that. Come and meet us in that grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.